Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Testing. Testing. One, two, three, five. No, you skipped four. Nope. Don't believe in four. Welcome to Inside the... Mind of me? No, Hive. Hive. Inside the Hive. Yeah, and the mind of me. And... My mind. I'm your host, Nick Bilton. Nick Bilton. Joel Stein, welcome back to the show. Thank you. How many return guests have you had? Uh, I've only ever had people back who are not associated with Vanity Fair... Twice, so you are you are in the upper echelon okay. of, of maybe a half. A dozen I'm a little people. associated. I write occasionally. Well, but like our oh, like our, real. our hive, yeah. you know, VF folks have like Emily Jane Fox. Sure, uh, is practically like a co-host. I don't blame you. Uh, um, yeah. A couple of others. So, uh, but I'm very excited. We have a lot to talk about. You, yes. your book. Is coming out uh, this this week? Next? Yeah, well, yes. yeah, right away. You can get right, it now. You can get it now. Okay, what's and the you title should. again? It's called In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You're Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. Okay. But it's and, not a parody. I mean it. Okay, I'm defending yeah, yeah, no, elitism. We're going to get yeah. to that. And it's a lot, it's actually has a lot to do with Republicans and Democrats and liberal elites and blah, blah, blah. We're going to talk about impeachment, which you've written yes. a little bit about recently. Uh, you have some viewpoints on that. We're going to talk about um, little little tiny mints that stop sugar cravings. Okay. We're going to talk about your, your... Every time I see you, I feel like you are doing some sort of weird health experiment. It's been a long one. It's, it's been a little over two months. Been, so, yeah. yeah. And you just showed up from a... a ozone chamber but we're gonna to get to I'm that woozy. too yeah and um and then a piece that you recently just wrote about how the democrats should pick a republican let's start with your book so Not a, a republican vice presidential a republican sorry uh, yeah. vice president okay. let's start with your book you i i actually thought that it was a joke the whole elite you, thing but you read the book i know but i still thought you were joking it's so you're so you are oh, you that's se- not good. So, so you read he, the whole book and you thought he doesn't really mean it. This is like a parody. No, I kind of I, I I know that you. Oh boy. Okay, so give us okay. just give us the lay of the land real quick Jesus. for people that are just tuning in. I feel like we are we have okay. The reason I wrote a funny book about politics, which no one else is doing, is because when my whole life I assumed if we ever entered a period of nationalism and authoritarianism, it would be because. There was an economic collapse, there was a war, there was a natural disaster, something would precipitate it, something horrible. And instead, we have this unforced error occurring, you know, throughout all kinds of countries for no reason. Things are going so well, and suddenly people are freaking out, and I feel like we're making a horrible decision and we need to calm down. And we have to go back to trusting people with expertise and education and, and not just operating from the gut. But the so but there there is a reason to this. It's fear, right? Yes. I mean, there, that's yes. the reason is that that a lot of these white people see brown people yes. and think like, oh my god, this is terrible. We've got to stop this, right? Well, I, I I'm confused about what the there's some change or a series of changes that occurred, and some historian will simplify it down to a sentence. But 
certainly there's a huge demographic shift. There's a huge, um, feminism has made great progress. Gay rights has made great progress. The knowledge economy has changed things. The, the move to cities has changed things. Globalization has changed things. There's been great change that occurred. And there's a lot of people, particularly in rural areas, who do not like this. Well, so here's, here's I remember right when Trump won, there was this uh, story that was yeah. going around. We're, we're How gonna, traumatic was it for you as a human? You know, it's funny. I, I, know, as a human, I remember we went, when I just, I just voted recently, um, and online, what do you mean? No, no. Like, you know, when you go to vote, there was a, or I was registering for something at the same polling place where I voted. I, we, we went there and I remember I stopped and I took a se- selfie. And what was funny was I took a picture right when I was there and my phone popped up and was like, here's a picture you took three years ago, whatever it was. And it was the picture of me and my wife standing in front of the American flag with a big grin. And, oh, then I, and right. I voted and I, I don't post selfies. It's not like an online or anything. It was just a picture we kind of yeah. took for the moment. Cause we thought Donald Trump would not win. And yeah. then that night I, re- I just remember being like, Holy. Bum. So your iPhone is like, never forget. Yeah. It's not, it's, just it reminds you, me it's yes, awful every day. But, but that being said, after this traumatic incident occurred, um, and it I, felt traumatic. Very right? traumatic. Still feels traumatic. And, st- and can you pin why? Because I was at a party and I brought a bottle of Trump uh, sparkling wine. Was it I, good? It, um, it is not good, but it's not as bad as you hope it is. Huh. But it's not good. Okay. And I just, it's from Virginia. It says, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to toast his failure to unseat the elites with his sad attempt to, to make this elite sparkling wine. Uh and I just remember looking at the county by county results coming into my computer and feeling like I've been through Republicans winning before and it didn't freak me out like this. I felt like, well, didn't George W. Bush freak you out a little, especially the second one, because it yeah, was, it was, it, that was about the war more but, than anything, but it was still like, is this country that fucking stupid? Right? Yeah, but this this seemed much more dangerous. So here's what I remember reading. I remember a very, very smart person. I forget who it was, was but it I remember well, it wasn't you. Someone okay. smart is saying. So okay. uh, they sent, I got this article someone had sent me. It was actually, it was some like CEO in Silicon Valley that sent it to me. And they sent me this article and I, they were like, I, I, that's so not your character. You just no, called no, 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 Silicon I didn't, Valley CEO very smart. He wasn't smart. like, he's not, not, not like, uh, it, he, he, he ran a nice company. Oh, I didn't know you believed There's in There's like okay. one or two of them up there. All right. And the point of the the point of the the piece it was a very long like piece written on this like a- academic website or something I don't know, and it, what it explained which made sense to me at the time and I should try to find it but it was that in the past we had um, the wars and uh, geopolitical differences over land over borders yes. right we still With, do we still do but uh, you know Germany invading it's its neighbors was about taking at the end of the day, it was about taking over that land. Uh, lots of other reasons too, but that was, that was the, the crux of it. So what we have today, because the internet has erased a lot of those borders is that, so it was essentially that the argument was that, that a lot of uh, war in the past and, and political strife was North to South, like it was going from one place to another. And now it's kind of East to West in the respect of it is, it is political ideals. Did you read this piece at the beginning of the Cold War? No. <laughs> no, but it is about political ideals still. And I think that that is the, the problem uh, that, that 
I remember. Here's, let me let me back up a second. Okay. I, rem- I have a friend, this guy Hubert, who's a farmer, and uh, you're I don't just shaking your head at me. about this story. <laughs> no, he really is a farmer. He rode his bicycle. I don't believe Hubert. <laughs> I don't believe the farmer. Can you name his crop? Let's drill down. For I have a photos. I can I can find them online. Okay. Uh, I have photos. So uh, he he. Um, he, he, he rode his bicycle across the country. It's actually a very cool little story. He decided he started in San Francisco and he dipped his back wheel in Far Rockaway and he was going to ride to New York and dip his front wheel in Far Rockaway. There's a Far Rockaway on the east. There's a Far Rockaway on both. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, he's riding across the country. I ended up meeting him in New York when he, when he gets there. And I said to him, I was like, what was the most amazing thing? Like what it was the thing? And he said, you know, it was wild. He said, you, you leave the... Um, you leave the, you leave, you go through the country and you go through, you ride through all these towns. And he said, and I, he goes, I, he said he'd taken a road trip years earlier and like every town looks different. Everyone looks different. And then he said in the age of Instagram and Twitter and things like that, everyone looks the same. So he would see like a kid with like, you know, a 14 year old boy who had painted his nails blue in like this little town and then one in the next little town, the next little town. And he said it it was like a flattening of culture, of ideas, of everything. And I think that's what happened in the, in the world. And the response to this is the world we live in today. My elitist way of noticing that was this summer I was in Paris and I hadn't been there in a while. And Parisians, super stylish, super cool. And then I was walking around and they just kind of looked like people in LA or New York now. Like they didn't really stick they, out the way they used terrible, to. Terrible. Terribly dressed. Terrible. Okay, so here's my here's my question. So you believe wholeheartedly that if you put people in power, quote unquote, or yes. you vote them into power, whatever yes. it is, that are elites and that have, you know, went to Harvard and Yale and and this, that and the other, that will get back to normalcy? I believe that throwing out people who know what they're doing and have experience and replacing with people who operate from the gut leads to tribalism and nationalism and ultimately to fascism. And so the solution is so, but But what are you solving for? Like, I don't feel like we're solving. We're just burning it down. You mean right now? Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I think that, I think that, but I do, but I think there's, there's there's stuff to solve for. Like the meritocracy is not, it's better than it was when we were kids, but it's still not that meritocratic. Okay. But here's, so here's, I'm going to quickly jump into impeachment because you just said, I can't believe you read my book and thought I was kidding. I got to Well, I, I knew there was, there was yeah. some jokes in there, but it's... You just didn't want to believe that I believe this because you <laughs> like me, right? That's what it was. I didn't want to believe that you believe that uh, elites are better than non-elites because I actually think it's the other way around. Personally. Sure you do because I'm looking behind you at the five-part Nathan Mirvold uh, cookbook of molecular gastronomy. I got that for free. Uh... That's worse. What are you talking <laughs> That's your defense? <laughs> But you're so connected, you got it for free? No, I was testing out some recipes. Anyway, let's, okay, we're going to not go to bread making at this point in the show. Soon. Okay, so my, my, my understanding is that you now, from what you've, ex- you've explained to me, that I clearly didn't get from reading your book, uh, was, is that you believe that we, shouldn't, that we should have these elites and, and, that, and we shouldn't go through the gut. However, you don't believe that we should impeach Donald Trump. I do not believe that that will... So that, I don't are think you, that's going to help. You, are you, would you characterize yourself as like a right-wing nut job or are you a liberal... First of all, that's a very nice way to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Very large worldview, right wing nut job. No, I, 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 am, I am very, I am as scared about Donald Trump as you are. I, I, 
I'm more liberal than I have ever been. And but yet you don't think we should impeach him? No, because I, I, I don't. There's no. I can't at least envision a scenario where that helps the cause. And the cause to me is not just getting rid of Trump. The cause is ending this wave of nationalism, populism, etc. And I, I worry we got we got lucky. We got the idiot populist. We didn't get the Marie Le Pen. We didn't get you know uh, the Viktor Orban. We we got the when you get Putin, we got the moron version, right? Who could do the least damage in some ways. I, I worry that this thing builds and finally get rid of him and we just make people even more angry at the elites because impeachment's exactly what they think elites. It is. I love the impeachment. I love everything about it. Like, I love that it's complicated. I love that there's like a, you have to present facts and there's a trial and the, the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court wears his robe and presides about it. I love it. It's written into the Constitution. to. I love everything about impeachment. But I think people see it as elitist trickery, right? They're subverting the... People love direct democracy. I know we built a republic. I'm glad we built a republic. We've hollowed out the republic and replaced it with direct democracy all the time, which I think was a mistake. And we've given the president more and more power. And when people feel like they are not getting, when the majority feels like they're not getting what they want right away, they get pissed. And I think if we do this thing, which is sort of tricky and elitist and impeach him, especially if he then doesn't get thrown out of office by the Senate, which I don't see happening, and he can claim he's exonerated, I just see this going bad for us. I totally agree. However, last week I had uh, David Pluff on, and mm -hmm. he his argument was, look, at some point, we have to do the right thing. I think that doing the right thing to me is so hollow and empty. I, I want to. I agree. Yeah. I, look, I think that I think that the Democrats. The biggest problem of the Democrats is that they do the right thing too much, and that you know they show up at a at a at a fist fight, and Donald Trump brings guns and knives, and the Republicans do you know bring gerrymandering and this, that, and the other, and and they're like with a little peace flower. Like they, it's. It is without question a problem in the way that they they approach these situations. However, I'm for more peace flag, but we'll get back to that. How, however, I think that that we are in a situation where you at some point you're just you have to kind of move the ball forward. Uh, otherwise, but moving just, the ball forward to me is getting rid of Donald Trump. Like, so the, well, that's how you could get rid of him. Here's the theory. I, I don't just buy heard, that. Here's the theory I just heard this week. The theory is, and this is just a theory. The theory is that they will impeach him in the House, okay, that it will go to the Senate. Right now, there are 11 senators, the Republican senators. That, that give me, give me uh, months and times on this guesswork. I think it's, this all ends by April is the, is the theory. I didn't make this theory up. I'm just presenting this theory from someone who works in politics. Six months before the presidential election. Yeah. And that uh, he gets impeached in the House. It goes to the Senate. The Senate is like, I, we are fucking sick of this guy. Wait, wait, what does that mean? Like, that's a very vague term. That means, mean? a, that means a bunch of senators personally hate him? Or I think the, or a the bunch Republican of voters? Republican senators are like, done. Here, here, hold yeah. on, here, here, out the, here are the rest of the, the movie first. So th they, they, they impeach him. He gets tossed out of office. Mike Pence rises up. He is now the Republican nominee who is going to go up against Warren. Why is he automatically the Republican nominee at that point? Well, but, hold on, we're not done yet. Right. But Mitt Romney comes in and takes on Pence and is like, I can do this. Mitt Romney beats Pence in a Republican's, you know, jousting match. 
and it's Romney versus Warren, and Warren's so far left, and Romney's kind of a little bit closer to the center that Romney wins and he's the next president. Th- this is what do you a, think? It's, it's like, like a succession esque. It's not a liberal hard on. It's like a liberal <laughs> half mass chubby kind of like dream. That is, I look. I cannot predict the future. I would have never guessed Donald Trump could be the president of the United States. Maybe everything you said will happen. Uh, I'd I'd rather roll the dice on winning this election. That seems more plausible to me. So who is the who is the elitist candidate that you believe will will, will can do that? I mean, I am biased. I, I went to college with Cory Booker. I think he's an amazing human being. Maybe the most amazing did you human just, being I've ever did met. You, did, you, did you just name drop Cory Booker and like, oh, I was just yeah, here with him I'm last weekend? I'm an elitist. Yeah. yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> uh, I would like someone... I feel like we're in a very far right time in the world. And so I think going far left is a risky proposition. But isn't that the way all elections work? You you know, the response to to Clinton was Bush. The response to Bush was Obama. The response to Obama was, was, um, was Donald Trump orange Trump? No, I think people get sick and maybe more and more it's probably speeding up. People get sick of whoever's in power and want to replace them. But I, but I don't think, I think we're in a far right time. I don't see a lot of far left candidates having any luck in the world. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So you wrote recently in an article for the LA Times, is that right? Uh, that um, that the, the Democrats should pick a Republican as the VP. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. So I think we are living in incredible... I, I want to make sure we win this election from Donald Trump. And I think you need to make a big gesture that says, you have endangered democracy. Like the actual fabric of what makes this country our country is, I, don't, I know I sound like Pete Buttigieg, but it's at stake. And so I am willing as the Democratic presidential nominee to make a huge sacrifice to bring this nation together and to, and to keep this other team, which is no longer even about being conservative. It's, it's about autocracy and it's about populism. It's about nationalism. It's about isolationism. That team isn't left or right. That Those those kind of left and right parties have, are falling apart, as we can see in England. Um, and we've got these two other parties now, which is like people who want to burn it all down and, and be tribal and nationalist and don't care about democracy and those who do. And therefore, I'm willing to take someone from the other team for this moment just to save democracy. And I think that would be has, has a it, good sell to the purple districts. Do you think that who would be that Republican? I mean, I don't know which Republican is willing to do this. I would, uh, I would say that you'd it rather. It does seem like it could, it could really fix things. There's a lot of reasons you don't want to do that if you're a lifelong member of the Democratic Party. But I do think if you picked someone, especially from a swing state like John Kasich or even Jeb Bush, I think that could Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. <laughs> Yeah, the restoration, right? right now, Biden Bush is now, the restoration. 
I don't believe Biden is going to be the nominee, by the way. Oh, but that is the, I, I didn't say he would be. I'm just yes. saying that's a restoration ticket, right? Um, I, I, I love the idea, uh, in principle, uh, I don't know if it would actually work, Yeah, but it's got problems because it, it is, I, I interviewed some very much smarter people than me who know about politics and they all thought it was stupid and they're probably right. And one of the Has reasons- it ever happened before? No, but there's been like little moves. Like didn't Clinton pick David Gergen, Gergen for, uh. Yeah, there's been small There have been small moves. moves. Yeah. There's been like, you know, appointees that were, were, yeah. were Republican. But maybe maybe that's the thing. Okay, so... It's it, a sign of weakness is one problem. Well, and now... people he, like a strong presidential candidate. Which is why people actually do like uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons people like him. All right, so I want to come back to your book for a second. So you had, you spent uh, how many a, a week in? Yeah, in, I know you know a farmer, so I don't want to try and trump. It's you okay. Here. It's yeah. a, don't don't well, let's not use the uh, Trump in that term, please. Um, but I met a guy who was biking across country during that part of the book. Oh, really? Did he look like Hubert? Yeah, I have a no. He was fleeing Denmark. He wasn't even American. Oh, I, yeah. I have a funny little story about Hubert the farmer. He he um, he's I love the guy to death. He's uh, he does not know anything about technology and doesn't have a smartphone or whatever. Is he an organic farmer? I'm sure he yeah, is. Yeah, sure. He's, if you know, he's, him, he's yeah. in Maine. Um, uh, and he one day called me and told me. Uh, this is this is a very dated story, as you'll you'll tell from the from what he told me. But he he had he had been driving to he was living in New York and farming in upstate New York, and he had been driving to and from the city, and he kept seeing these ads, these yellow Sprint ads, saying if you come in and sign up for one year, you get uh, free BlackBerry. And he had thought for a good couple of months that they were handing out little bowls of blackberries oh my god your, your imaginary farmer hubert is adorable <laughs> and he was like what an amazing promotion <laughs> anyway hubert is a great guy uh so that being said going back to our discussion so you spent time with um uh with these folks in the the most trump district in the united states who were all trump uh, voters it was, the, it was the county with the highest percentage of trump voters the highest percentage and of- thank you for not just reading but giving me amazing notes on that book and teaching me how to write a book my pleasure and, yeah. i'm glad i could I'm you gave I- me such basic useful information like i'm good may- at, i'm good at basic use useless uh, information usually maybe a chapter shouldn't be 100 pages is one <laughs> thing you told me yeah um, all right, so you um, so you go spend some time with these people. So I had an experience where I um, spent some time with some folks in, in in Trump country, USA, and a different county than you. But it was incredibly eye opening for me. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to to South Carolina, um, to a, a small town there, and it what, was um, what town in South Carolina? Uh, it was just outside of Orangeburg. It's called Cope, South Carolina. Okay. I went to Mark Sanford's district out there, but that's not Mark where you Sam- were. Mark Sanford, where's he? It's actually not far from Charleston, but it's a little more rural. It's south. Well, so so I, I had this experience, and it was it was amazing, because I, I realized in that moment, like, if you, we, we live in this world, and I blame 99% of this on technology, but we live in this world where we we... With technology, our arguments are binary. You are right or you are wrong. There's no nuance. There's no, uh, there's no empathy. There's, there's, there's no nothing that will happen in a face-to-face conversation. And the people that I spent time with were all the sweetest, most lovely people ever. They gave me a coffee mug uh, that had a crying Starbucks uh, uh, logo on it and, it, and and it said, "Here's your liberal tears." I do remember that. It was, oh, a, nice. it was a joke. Yeah. Um, but my point is, is that. Um, is that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. there were things that we ended up finding in common. 
and and those were the things that we kind of connected over, right? And I think that when I hear your story about oh we you know we need to put more liberal elites or more elites, sorry, in power, I think that there's that I truly don't believe that we're doing it right. Like I I work you know morning, noon, and night. I you know we we live in this city oh, that's agreed. filled with concrete. We do. It's just it. I think that the way that we yes. live our lives is so ass backwards. It's I agree. ridiculous. And the people that you spend time with and the people that I spend time with are, don't I li- have that I problem. I learned so much about how to live from being with the people in Miami, Texas. You know, they meet in – everything is social. They meet at night on their porches without looking at their phones. They, they go to church where they see each other. It's they go, they go to their horrible high school football games. There's not even enough people in this town to have a real football team. It's like called six-man football, which was invented during the Depression. <laughs> it's so sad. These towns are just dying. But – but the part where you go to South Carolina and you meet people who are Trump voters and you like them and you can learn a lot about how to live from them, it, it fills you with this kumbaya kind of feeling. And I agree we can learn from them about how to live. But I don't – I didn't leave there feeling like just because these are good people, we're safe. Just – it's a Eichmann in Jerusalem thing. Like, like there's a blandness, a banality to, to evil as she would have put it. I don't know if this is quite evil but – you can make some horrible decisions about, you know, people seeking asylum at our border or Syrians in a boat about to come to your country and, and still be a really good person to hang out with and teach me a lot about how to live my life. Like these, are, these are big decisions that can cause a lot of damage. And so do you think that there's a world where if you were to kind of rethink the way we do things, where, the, where you have different people that come to the table together? Yeah, but but going back to something you said a second ago that I objected to, which was that just be... You can say I object. This can I slam on the table <laughs> or that screw up the recording equipment? Because I really want to. Nah, you can try it. I object. Okay, go. The, the notion that we're living our lives wrong does not connect to me to we shouldn't be in charge. Like, I don't want to be president of the United States. It sounds awful. But I want, awful. A re- I want an elitist as president of the United States. But I, I don't think that person is going to be happy. But I think it's important that they do that. Like, I think a lot of work is hard and miserable and makes your life awful, but I think it's important that people who are experts and educated do them. I understand what you're saying, I, but I also feel like uh, th- maybe there's a balance there. Maybe, you yeah. know. No, I don't think we should teach people how to, like, live. Like, I think we suck at that. Yes. But I think we should be running a lot of things. Do you think that... When, when I look at the future and I look at the role that technology has played in kind of helping tear the country apart even mm-hmm. more and the propaganda and, and all these other things, do you think that, that and, and we are being driven apart more and more and more and more, do you think that there's a world where we do come to the center and the people meet again? And yeah. that, how? I mean, I only have a historical view of this. In times before technology, we've experienced these kind of bouts of nationalism. And? And populism. And that's the thing about living through history, right? Like, McCarthyism was short. The Dark Ages were long. I don't know where we shake out in this. Like, the fever could break any second, or we could be going into that time that Elon Musk worries about where, you know, you better get to Mars fast because it's never going to happen again because we're going to forget everything we know. I don't know. I don't know. And that's what is like horrible and exciting about being alive right now. When you set out to write this book, did you, um, did you think that you were going to, did you 
set out with one idea in mind and then come back with a completely different one? Or was, did you set out with that idea and come back saying, oh, I was right all along? This I, there were things I was wrong about. I think generally I was right about defending the elite. I think I was, I learned a little about smugness and how smug I am and how smugness, <laughs> smugness is not a valuable tool. Yeah. Even though it's, it's a ridiculous thing to learn because people have been telling me I'm smug since I was like five. They called it precocious then, which is just smugness for children. But I've, so, so I, that shouldn't have taken me a while to figure out. I definitely learned a lot about Trump voters and I probably would have just said they were racist before I went and met them. And now I know, uh, they're racist plus a lot of other things. No, that's, <laughs> we're all racist, yeah, right? And maybe yeah, they're a little more racist, right. but that's not their, that's not their prime. They're certainly willing to look away from what I would consider racism more than I am. Did you but, understand anything about the, where the fear comes from, from them? Especially yes, when it comes from the, it's real and they're right. They're, what, what, go on. So, so I think you, certainly you notice acceleration, not speed. And when, when you ask them, do they think Christians are discriminated against or if white people are discriminated against, they, more than black people, more than Latinos, they say yes. Like they feel strongly about that. And what they're noticing is they have, especially in, in rural areas, but white Christians in general have less power than they used to. Even on a personal level, like used to be like, oh, I'll get him a job. He's a good guy. Right, and now there's an actual competition for that job. But but that's a good that's a good thing, don't they? It's realize a great that? it's a great thing, but no one likes change and the experience of change. And I, the Cambridge Analytica guy puts it so well when he talks about um, straight men talking about feeling closeted right now because they think what was not long ago a normal thing to express, they can no longer say in public. And so they feel like they are not allowed to express their true selves. And that, that's a, a, that's, you feel angry and you feel uh, disempowered and you feel like it's not fair and you can do some pretty horrible things. That's, that's one thing that Bannon figured out. Do you think that the... Um, I think there's a lot of anger at women right now. And I think we've been like... A lot of anger from, these, these, from white men, you're saying? Or? I don't think just white men. I think there's a lot of anger about the changes we've experienced culturally about women from men in general. It's like starting at Gamergate. That's when I really started to see it and moving on. And what, and, but the reality is, is that the Me Too movement is helping eradicate that or am I looking at this incorrectly? Uh, you're looking at it fine if you're looking at it from like 30,000 feet and seeing what's best for society. But if you're looking at what it feels like as a 50-year-old dude to suddenly be told that examine yourself and realize all the bad thing you've done or think, or, or just think of yourself as normal and everyone's gone crazy and isn't allowing people to act normal anymore. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. 
and he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. The one thing I do worry about with the Me Too movement is that there will be a reaction to it. I, I think the thing that I've, I've really started to learn over the years of reporting story after story is that you see, you see things happen and you see an equal and opposite reaction to it. And it's like ping pong balls flying all over the place at the same time. And, and I, the, re, the reaction to bad white men like Harvey Weinstein is, mm-hmm. and, and Donald Trump winning, quite frankly, is, is the Me Too movement. But what is the reaction to the Me Too movement that, that will do something to society? Well, look at like the way Italy thinks about Harvey Weinstein, right? They, like, they dig him. Right? So crazy. Because they're like, you're going to tell all of us that we're jerks? Like, no, this is our society. This is the way we like to live. Like, you're not going to... Or look at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, right? Like, I didn't... I saw Brett Kavanaugh start to talk, and I, I thought, oh, it's all... He's going to... He's obviously a concession speech. Like, you don't start... You're not going to become a, a Supreme Court justice by screaming and crying about beer. Like, this is craziness. <laughs> like, this ends with, and I'm leaving, screw you all. And no... There were a lot of people in the country who really felt relieved when they heard Brett Kavanaugh speak, that they felt aggrieved as men, and, and, and they wanted to cry too, because they felt like, like we're, we're, that was a normal thing to do as a teenager, when your hormones are crazy, and we're going to hang him for it? Like, hang us all then. They're, do you, in your report, you're, you, I mean, it's funny you write about all these things from all these different perspectives. And Except funnier than I'm presenting it. What's that? It's, I told you we'd be funny today, and I've totally you, failed you. You've totally, we'll get there. We'll have, we'll have a couple of jokes. Um, all right, so I, actually, so you, you did a story recently. You, you called me up, and you said to me, um, hey, can you come with me to, uh, to, what was the name of the restaurant? Not Gracias Madre, uh, where you did the... Oh, I had to go alone, because no one, well, yeah, I asked you and a couple other people. So I wore a MAGA hat to a vegan restaurant in LA called um, Cafe Gratitude. Cafe Gratitude. Where literally the whole menu, the, the names of the dishes are, I am grateful, I am peaceful, I am, I am humble. I am yeah. MAGA. <laughs> so you went, so you asked me, you said, hey, you want to come with me? I got to go to Gracias, uh, to, to Gracias, <sighs> to, sorry, Cafe Gratitude. To, same people Same own people. That. Oh, yeah. really? Well, yeah. they, they all taste the same anyway. Like, like dirt and twigs. Uh, um, and you went with this MAGA hat and h- how uncomfortable was it? Well, I am filled with social anxiety to begin with. So I was truly panicked. Did you, well, you, you literally just put on a MAGA hat and <sighs> you sat down and you went ordered bar a and grateful bowl lunch. Yeah. and did, were people looking at you? Well, at first I had that, when I get really nervous, I get that narrow vision thing. So I wasn't, <laughs> I was just trying to, I like literally said to the hostess, can I sit at the bar? And she's like, yes. And so I, I barely had any interaction. And look, it took me a while to just calm down and look around. But people didn't seem to be staring at me as much as I thought. But there they were no look, dirty looks. No dirty looks, huh? And my waiter, who was, I believe, a gay, uh, and he was a Mexican immigrant, was so nice to me. I mean... Out of fear or out of well, I like... Talked, I, I, I confessed at the end. You, you, you stood up on a table and said, I am not a MAGA supporter. No, I did not. I just told him <laughs> and the guy sitting next to me. So a lot of people had already left and not, were not told. And what, so what did, what did they say? He said, 
that his instinct when he sees people who are Trump supporters or who hate immigrants is the way he may have put it, is to just present a really positive version of himself. So they at least walk away liking him and thinking, oh, there's a good Mexican. Now, how do you, th- it's, I, what, I, what I found fascinating about that piece was that people weren't pissed at you. Like I, I would have, I would have, you know, probably gone up and been like, you, you're not, you're not welcome here. And with that grateful bowl, buddy, I uh, remember shortly after the election, walking down this little hike near my house and seeing, I think, an older Asian guy with a MAGA hat walking towards me. And did you hit him? I had rage. I thought I might. I, I have never. When's the last time I, I don't hit anybody? I really felt like I was going to hit him. And then he got closer and it was like a Harvard hat or something. <laughs> it was like a different red hat. But but it was very. I've had, I've, I have had those moments where. It's intense, yeah. right? And I'm, a, you know. Well, I bought the. Um, the remember the the Donald Trump hat that um, oh yeah no those are dangerous that, that looked too close yeah that was from uh, the the comedy set and I, I wore it bef- I wore it out like sometimes I just wear yeah. it to protect myself and I, I had a couple of nasty looks and then people looked at me and realized what it was but then I I threw it away Cafe Gratitude was selling a red hat with a joke on it like make America you, not awful again or whatever it was and they had to pull them because people were like no just too close it's yeah, not funny too, too close don't to make home. jokes about that so. I have a, a proposition for you. Yes. How much would I have to pay you for you to wear a Hillary 2020 hat and T-shirt and go to like, you know, somewhere in Texas? Zero dollars. No problem. You would do it? No problem. What do you think the response would be? Anything different? Well, the, the difference is, and in one chapter in the book, I talk about fake news and I hang out with a fake news kingpin, a guy who created a bunch of fake news during the election and uh, I went to go meet him thinking he'd be like a Milo Yiannopoulos type. And he wasn't. He was a, a former journalist who got into this kind of ass backwards by posting some stuff to kind of troll the alt-right and then tell them. He figured he'd tell them it was fake and they would realize that they're idiots. But instead, he just created fake news and they liked it. And they ignored the part about it being fake. So then he started kind of a business and made a lot of money selling fake news. And then he got caught by NPR after the election. So, so when I first talked to him, he was under the impression that people on the right are, are dumber and more likely to fall for fake news stories. But since Trump's come to office, you're able to do things like the Guerrilla Channel or um, uh, there's been a lot of like fake news that people have bought for a while. And that's because when you're out of power, you are much angrier and much more desperate to believe things. So I think right now wearing a Hillary shirt to a Trump country while Trump is president and Hillary isn't even running is not going to get people very riled up at all. They'll just make jokes at your expense. Mm, I still would like to witness it. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, great. We'll, we'll do it live on the podcast. So you believe, just to, to, to focus on uh, our differences, uh, you think elites should not be in power. You believe in Bernie's thing that the Fed Board of Governors should involve some farmers, as he's argued, like your friend. And uh, I believe that we... Here's... I'll, I'll say two things. I believe that whatever we're doing is not working. What does that mean? I believe that that um, I can go through... Let me let me just pick one thing. I don't believe uh, that that we should... There should be such a thing as a billionaire. Okay. I believe that... I'm fine with that. That that there should be a limit to the amount of money that people could spend. I think that spend? when... Spend? Sorry, that can, they can earn. Okay. I think that when you look at... Or have. 
Either way. Either way. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you look at the, the you know the statistic I talk about a lot on here, uh, the top four richest people on earth have the same amount of wealth as the bottom three point yes. six billion. Uh, um, but the the Jeff Bezos is deciding the future right now, his own version of it, and we are going to live in it. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. But what does that last part mean? He's deciding. He's he is literally changing the the shape of retail across the United States. He's decide he he is deciding how we're going to live, how we're going to pay for things. So that's not a wealth issue. You he would that guy no, was it is driven, a wealth issue. That guy was driven before he had money. Yes, but if he if there was a limit to how much money he'd he could make, he'd still be on there every day. He'd still what? He'd still be doing the same thing. Oh, I thing. agree. I think yeah. that there's a there's a there's People a, like this. Uh, yes, but there's a disorder. That's a disorder. It's not a it's not a good thing in my personal opinion. Like I don't think that I don't think that you should be able to um, to get away with a lot of the things that these big tech companies have gotten away with. And I completely 1000% agree with Elizabeth Warren on it. And I think that they're too big, they're too powerful. You know, that's, that's not working yeah. for me, okay. right? Um, uh, the, the inequality in this country is just, in the, globally, it's just diabolical. It's just, yep. there's, there's no well, the one- global inequality is better than it used to be. Global is better. In Western countries, it's worse. The US is not. Um, yes, um, but I can just go through and look the number. But this of has been great. This this globalization and even though it's distorted American and British et cetera economies, it's really on a global scale helped the world. As it has far as helped evening the wor- things out. It has helped the world as far as evening things out. But it it but it's almost like it's like this top heavy thing as it's done it. It's it's made there. It's are, still a pretty. In my and again, I agree. I think the taxation rates are screwed up. We can de- the inequality is awful. We need to improve that. Those are reasonable fixes that most of us can agree on. We can work on through pretty simple levers like taxation. But I do think I'd rather have a world in which you have this horrible unfairness in some Western countries and fewer people are starving to death. Like I think globalization in general has been really good for the planet. I agree. But but again, I think that the, you're, the repercussions of that are sitting in the White House right now. So Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. But so, so that's, the, that's the first thing. I think that... Um, I think that the maybe, yeah. I I think that we are where we have. There's a million things I can say about technology. I, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But I think that when you look at the fact of the people who are in power today, I, it's not working, right? But I disagree. I think not perfect is different than not working. I call it in the book. I call it the meteorologist fallacy, which is like, oh, you know, they they economy crashed in 2008, so let's never trust economists again, or or you know. The Iraq, they got the Iraq war wrong. So like, why ever listen to the military? Why ever listen to the State Department? Like that, like the, the meteorologist, when it rains and they say it's not going to rain, everyone's like, weathermen are stupid or meteorologists are stupid. And I'm like, no, like they, they, they use percentages for a reason. Like they're not, it's not perfect, but it doesn't mean the counterfactual isn't that like you should put a farmer on the board of. Uh, but here's but here's my my point is why why not have a farmer on the board? Because you want an economist to like. You want an economist, but why not have an economist and a farmer? What, why I don't know. Why not have an economist grow your blackberries? Because so you won't get blackberries. <laughs> like if we have an economist, if we have a farmer on the on the uh, the Fed board, we won't eat for two reasons. Like one the economy will be screwed up and B, no one will be growing our food. But like, look, when you get populists 
running economics, you get 0% interest rates and you get people using leaves toilet paper in Venezuela. So I, over the years, have working at the Times, working at Vanity Fair, have have interacted with a lot of senators and governors and like you meet them in these, they come to the, do those little editorial meetings and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the thing that I've been kind of astounded by is that most of them are not that smart. They are incredibly driven, but they are not that smart. And and I and when I look at it seems to me that the people running the country, for the most part, not all of them, some of them are very smart and some of them are very thoughtful. Um, but for the most part, a majority of them are more driven by power than they are by helping anyone. And and they use that elite status to gain that power and to keep it. And so for me, it doesn't seem like it, Mitch McConnell, I don't know where he went to school. I'm sure he's got a great degree. Do we want someone like that running our country? I, I'm going to step that back. First of all, I don't know if there are many, I'm not endorsing Bill Clinton, but I don't know if there's many smarter people than Bill Clinton. Um, I also would argue that it's not, look, you want the smartest people probably on the Supreme Court as your electrical engineers. Politics is a, is a very, comp, it's complicated and involves complicated networks of people and how to influence people and get people to do things. It's a, very, it's a leadership role. So it doesn't require necessarily the smartest people. But I, I have found the opposite. Like the people I've met in politics, I found are, are pretty detail-oriented and they seem to know a lot of information and they don't walk in for the most part and saying, I can solve the Middle East. Like they know these are complicated issues that, that, um, that I, every time McCain came to Time Magazine and people asked him questions, I was shocked at how dumb we were and how much he knew. Well, he, I think that there are exceptions. Like yeah. McCain, yes. On foreign but, policy, But yeah. like, I also feel like Harry Reid like may have, may have helped get a lot of, a lot of uh, policies through, but, yeah. but at the end of the day, didn't give but a you've shit. Read, you know the LBJ. The LBJ is not the smart. The LBJ wasn't that smart. Yeah. But those kind of positions just require how to organize people and to get people in line and... Those are influencer positions, right? Yeah. Specifically. And I think they're good at that. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. All right. So um, last question on your book, and then I want to move to your um, ripped shirt. Uh, Oh, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Well, so... I thought of the podcast. No one would know. (laughs) So uh, in the end of the book... What's your realization? I just love when I talk to progressive liberals who are against elites and they make me the most delicious cortado I've ever had. That's out cappuccino, it's not a cortado. Oh, is it right? Yeah, What's the amount of milk that changes it from a cortado to a cappuccino? I think cortado is around like four, between like four, four and a half ounces maybe, give or mm-hmm. take. Uh, cappuccino is around 5.7. Lattes, you're going up to like 6.8. Yeah, you are a man of the people. I was wrong the whole time. I apologize. <laughs> We all have our things. You have all the things. So mine is uh, <laughs> cappuccinos. Anyway, uh, end of the book. Yes. What's your What's the realization you walk away with, and what What can What is it that uh, that you can kind of leave us off on before we get? To I do believe shirt? you take a peace sign to the gunfight. I believe in Michelle Obama's. We go when they go low. We go high. I think we need to we need to present a world in which people are thoughtful and reasonable and. Uh, and contrast it, and not corrupt, and contrast it to this tribal 
world that Trump has painted where everyone is corrupt and there's a deep state. And look, I'm corrupt too, but just pick the, pick the guy from your tribe who's the most corrupt. Like that's a dangerous world. And I want to present a world where people have ideas and they might be from different tribes and they, and they solve for problems. And like they say, a farmer. Like a farmer who stays in his lane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. And a farmer who comes up with a great new way to get blackberries and, and an economist who comes up with a, a smart plan of how to improve inequality in the United States. Like I want to improve the meritocracy and I want to, I want to present, I want to calm everyone down. I want to be less smug and, and, and go back to a world where people are solving for problems instead of just trying to destroy everything. Amen. I think to that. Maybe. Yeah. Um, all right. So I want to move uh, on to a, a different topic. You, every time I see you, you are writing about a new form of like some, what, what do you even call it? Is it a workout? It's like a diet? What? Health. Health, health issues, some, right? Some health thing. Yeah. But they Drives my seem, wife crazy. But they, they all seem like, with all due respect, please, like fucking stupider than the last one. Like That's today correct. you just showed up. That's correct. You had been in an ozone chamber for 24 Ozone sauna. Four minutes or something. So I, I didn't make it the full 25. I think I was there for 23. Yeah. 23 minutes. What, 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 what's going What are you doing? Okay. Talk, now in, in my defense, you're talking about something I've been doing for the last two and a half months for a story. Each, it's just one thing. Oh, you okay. think a couple of years ago? Well, the thing I, I, did a I guess, years you know, ago. a few years ago, you, you, you were trying on different, uh, steppers and and bracelet things that were oh, that's testing. true that was less crazy though that was pretty was rational crazy, right i was it's doing like it's like a it's like a gateway drug right it was it was i was doing i was just doing my steps so talk talk <laughs> you went from your steps to ozone chambers what what are the other things that you've tried recently um so i've been doing a story on biohacking uh-huh. have you looked into this world at all i've heard a little bit about it talk talk, talk it's a little all more. silicon valley valley bro stuff it's okay. the stuff you hate yep right and I think you're right on this one. Uh, oh, thanks. So it's like male goop. It's different ways to try and live to be 180. Dave Asprey, the guy who created Bulletproof Coffee, is a big fan of this. So, so there's intermittent fasting. So talk us through, walk me through some of these. I have lots of questions about these. Okay. Well, go with your question. Okay. So, so, yeah. so the, I've always wondered about this, the, okay. the Bulletproof Coffee. Yes. It's coffee with butter in the morning? Butter and some like refined coconut oil. And what is it supposed to do to you? Keep you from eating. And does it keep you from eating or do you just feel Ca- sick from drinking butter for breakfast? Every time I put butter in my coffee, I think this could be a croissant. <laughs> what am, why am I doing this? So, uh, does it work? I find that coffee suppresses appetite. I heard cigarettes do the same. So that part of it for sure. Maybe having a little fat in your system keeps you from okay. Eating. Okay, I don't intermittent know. fasting. I don't know. What is intermittent fasting? So intermittent fasting. <laughs> and see, you can't even keep a straight face when you're talking about this stuff. <laughs> well, every time I talk to someone about intermittent fasting, they tell me they are intermittent fasting. I've never intermittent fasted. I cannot believe the amount of people doing this. This is so ridiculous. Keep going. Keep going. Almost all guys. Of uh, course. Yeah. Although a lot of women do it, but don't call it that. So what? It, it's just having a really small amount of time you eat. <laughs> During the day. So like, what is it like? Is it like, like from 12 eating? to 6? No, no, no. It's just that you don't eat except for like 11 to 7 or 12 to 6 per and day. And you, can you eat as much as you want between 12 and 6 every day? That's a different question. But the that, definition that, of intermittent fasting is, yeah, is, is that I do not eat except for those hours. But can you like have like 
a Snickers bar or is it like you're supposed to have an apple? Then we're going to have butter? a separate talk about diet. Okay. But the definition of intermittent fasting has nothing to do with what you eat. It's just that you are going to go into ketosis by starving your body of carbohydrates. But I thought ketosis was not eating carbohydrates. Yeah. Well, this really takes care of it because you're not eating. <laughs> <laughs> but could you have pasta and bread, for example? And call it intermittent fasting? Yeah. Sure. But then how are you going to go into ketosis? Because you're because you're going to be in ketosis for those hours when you're not eating the carbs. And does it work? What are you trying to solve for? I have no idea. I have no will, idea. What will you lose you weight by, by yeah. not eating most of the day? Yeah. For sure. Do you, now here, do this you, is all like Jimmy Kimmel and Penn Gillette lost weight. But is it is healthy? It, I... I mean, they, everyone not, said, everyone said, oh, Atkins diet, Atkins diet. Yeah. Use as much meat as I wrote you can. a cover on the Atkins diet where I said it was idiotic. Okay, and but I and think I was wrong. You think you were wrong, but I there's do. a lot of studies that have come out. God knows if there are studies that have refuted the studies, yep. but that's, it's bad for your heart. It's, it's this, that, and the other. Like, how, here's the question yeah. I have Is you, ozone, how long have ozone saunas been around? A week, week and a half? Like, the I don't know. The first one I've seen. Yeah, exactly. I've never heard of it before in my life. It sounds really bad for you. This is a different question, but yes. But it doesn't, how do we know, there's no longitudinal study on no. ozone saunas no. and intermittent fasting and like. Well, we know a lot about fasting. Actually. Okay. Okay. So maybe we know more about, and then, and then what are the, you've done like cryogenic chambers and stuff yes. like that. Like, how do we know this is not going to like make you die at 80 rather than live to, to 180? I, I don't know that at all. I, I know that like subjecting yourself to cold and then hot is probably somewhat, I don't know how beneficial, but many cultures do that. So we have pretty good studies on whether, you know, jumping in from a sauna to a cold pool is a big deal. Seems to be generally maybe good for you. Uh, many cultures do it. I, the ozone sauna, I can't speak to. Yeah, having just done it. What are some other bizarre things you've done? Um, there's a PEMF machine. A what? That's an acronym. It, basically, the word, the E is for electronic. And so it's a it's a pad. You lay down on this thing, and it sends electrical signals to your body. It feels like the Shaw is trying to get information from you. Uh, it it's pretty. It's and, like you're being shocked. And does it? Does, what is? Is it? It's does, supposed to. A lot of this is about recovery, mm. like muscle recovery. So it's supposed to. Do you feel heal. achy the next day or the same? I'm not a particularly sensitive human being, as you may have noticed during this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel any differently from most of this stuff. What other things? Like the craziest things I do. The cryogenic mm. chamber is pretty crazy. And that's, you go in a ice cold thing? You go into a um, very tiny, like human-sized portal. I don't know. That's not a good word for it. Do you feel claustrophobic? It. No, there's a window and they play music and it's, you're only in there for three minutes. I don't get that claustrophobic in general. Do you, I get a little claustrophobic. Do you, um, uh, I hate being in elevators by myself. Oh, this would be bad then. Uh, do you, I don't mind if I'm with another person because then I can have someone to talk to. Have you ever fallen in love? <laughs> like Chandler Bing and uh, that Victoria's Secret model? Um, not in an elevator. Okay. Um, uh, when you're doing these things, is there part of you that feels good? Or feels indifferent or feels the same? Like, do you feel a difference or do you think this is just some Intermittent fasting, thing? I felt different because that's... In a good way or a bad way? I mean, I didn't like it. Oh, but really? What, in what respect? You, it's weird. The, I, I didn't like it because I felt kind of woozy and weak, you know, like, like as if you were fasting. But I will say I was surprised that within four or five days, my body got used to it. I mean, I'd go, I'd go work out without eating. Did you get hangry? 
less but in, and less. I got really used to it. It's very odd. That part was odd. Why do you think the tech bros are like leading the charge on all this weird stuff? Oh, well, first of all, it's all quantitative. Like I'm wearing a whoop bracelet. I'm wearing an aura ring. I'm wearing a Fitbit. I can confirm looking at yeah. Joel. That so he like is all this stuff is tech equipment that measures everything about myself. Like my heart rate variability, my you know resting heart rate, my, my deep sleep, my REM sleep. So there's just data to geek out on, right? Hmm. Like as if you're watching baseball. It's amazing. And then um, there's, there's a lot of improvements and, and, you know, you can affect your deep sleep by all these different things you can do to change your environment and how you sleep. So I think it's very appealing in that way. And there's just like a cocky dude-ness to like trying to improve yourself physically like a robot. Well, it's funny you mentioned my, my, no one's listening to the podcast at this point, so no. I can just talk about whatever, but uh, <laughs> you mentioned. No, actually, this is the part they'll listen to. The stuff about They're indefensive like, elitism they don't care about. Oh, here we are. They're no, having a conversation it's, about it's diet. It's not the part about the Fed that people care about. It's like, <laughs> how do I improve my weight? Well, so you you referenced the referenced the Nathan Revold. Uh, yep. Uh, so I was I used I was. That's making, next to the book, uh, the Eataly book. Uh, I like to cook. I love I love no, cooking. And but, yeah. But um, I was making bread for a long time, sourdough breads and things like that. You stopped. I stopped because I just have too much work going Did on. Did your starter die? It did die. And looking for a new starter, if anyone who's listening wants to send me one. Um, I can't believe you hate the elite. You're just, it's just self-hating. That's all it is. <laughs> anyway, Wait, what did, was, did what you, turned Did you bury it? Did I your bury starter? starter? Like, how does it? No, I didn't bury my starter. There, I just killed it. Was I, there a ceremony? Yeah, the ceremony was I threw it in the fucking garbage. Oh, like that was, it was angry. Okay. Yeah. It was an angry ceremony. Yeah. I'd lost okay. the thing I love and not oh, me. so sorry. Um, it is pretty cool making sourdough bread. Yeah. Because... I feel like you're being condescending right now. <laughs> no, if you would embrace the elitism idea, I would not be. But it's just that you keep bringing up it's the more and more elitism. elitist it's things. It's not elitist. Here, here is the thing about it that I think is interesting is that it's three ingredients. It's water, it's flour, and it's salt. And you can make the most delicious thing on earth with those three ingredients and a little time. And it is a technology that is... 8,000 years old, 6,000 years old, something like that. And I think that's very cool. The part that actually kind of turned me off about it was I got a call one day from a reporter from somewhere who was doing a story on how all the tech bros are making sourdough bread and they're like doing like they're writing algorithms to like test their starter density and this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh God, I'm one of those. I don't write algorithms to test my starter. But if you could. If I could, I would. But um, uh, no, but it's, I think it's fascinating. Like it's all, it's all a data game for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a data game and it's, I mean, I think there's a belief in Silicon Valley that, that the, the world is changing incredibly rapidly and soon, you know, it's very Andrew Yang, like soon we won't have jobs and the world's going to be totally different and we'll live to 180. There's, it's a very techno-futurist kind of a... Do you believe belief. it? I don't believe any of it. You don't? No. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think like any kind of prediction model based on a curve that just continues the way it is now is usually wrong. So I, I don't think that... Um, I know we had the Concord for a while, but in general, if you took someone in 1940 and asked them how long it would take to get to London in 2019, they probably would have said, if they drew a graph, like 30 minutes probably, right? Like we'd been moving faster and faster and faster for a long time and then we stopped. So I don't, I, I think, like if you, I remember being on a flight 
And the woman next to me told me that she did social media for a living for corporations. And I said, no, you don't. When was this? I'm like, uh, Twitter wasn't that old. Or, and I was like, you tell me you write tweets for a living? She's like, yeah, companies pay me to write tweets. I'm like, that's not a job. You're going to need a new job in two months. <laughs> I would have, and there was no way you couldn't convince me that a bunch of people would have a job of writing tweets and Facebook posts. My theory is a little different. I will disagree with you on this. I, know. I don't, I don't I know. believe that we... I think that the we tend to kind of think about technologies in in a vacuum in some respects and and you know we think oh there'll be driverless cars and they'll put all of us taxi drivers out of business and I think that what we fail to see is that the technology that requires driverless cars to get to a point that they are driverless requires well could be used for drones could be used for AI to write news stories could be used for actors to no longer need jobs and 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 truck drivers and this that and the other and I think that what happens is it's like all ships rise uh, and some people drown in the process. Sure. And I think that we are at the precipice of, you know, I think the changes we've seen with technology in the past 30 years are nothing compared to what's coming in the next 30. Uh, and that we are, that society is going to, it's going to be really, really rough for society. And it was when we moved out of, a, you know, back when 80% of people were farmers and that shifted uh it was really hard. I know this is the thing that pisses me off the most about the Silicon Valley bullshit is that you've got you, like the Mark Andreessen's of the world who are like software is eating the world and like look back at you know if it wasn't for for us leaving our agrarian societies you you Nick wouldn't have a job and Joel is writing magazine yeah. features and this that and the other in books. Well that's true but the 120 year period it took to go through the industrial revolution was the the largest increase in crime in yeah. the history of the United States. I mean, people would gather and destroy factories. Yeah, and and each other and and Ned Ludd. Yeah, yeah, and I think that it was miserable. And, and it's, I can see it now, and I see that when I when I was in Miami, Texas, which is they went to college. They're maybe the best example. But if you tell people, look, society is changing. We want to train you and and and, and teach you how to do a totally different thing than your dad did and his dad did. That, that's a social judgment. And you're telling people that the way they live, most people don't like going to school. And you're telling people that like, that's the way they should live and have to live compared to making things with their hands or, or whatever they were previously doing. That's a real, that's a real ask of, 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 of you to change your value system and what you like and enjoy and how you think of yourself. It's true. And it, it doesn't happen in a generation. No, but it will happen. But it's but it can be ugly. It's and hard. Be ugly. Yeah. And you and I will be living in a cryogenic ozone chamber together. God bless us. Uh, what's the name of the book again? It Where is can called. They get it? it is not a joke. It is called In Defense of <laughs> it's Elitism. It's an amazing book. Why I am better than you, and you're better than someone who didn't buy this book. And where can people not buy this book? Not not at Amazon apparently. <laughs> Joel, thank you as always. Oh my God. Thank you for helping me with this book. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Thanks for this pleasure. delicious cappuccino that you made. At least you didn't call it a cortado. Yeah. Thanks to my guest this week. You're supposed to say my name. You're the That's host. you. I'm not saying it. God, Joel Stein. You if go. you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can read that next part.
You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Sakara, Honey, and Quartz. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll Nick will see you next week. I probably won't. bum I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs>